0: To this episode of the Transfer Portal CFB podcast presented by No Context CFB. I am joined today by the author, the deserves to be Pulitzer Award winner of the Mapping Out Your College Football Weekend, Dan Keegan. Dan, man, how are you doing?
1: <laughs> Thank you. That is uh, far too kind.
0: Uh, no, it's not. I, it's not high enough praise. I mean, listen, now you listen, it's matching Week now for midweek. You've started Mapping Out Your College Football Week days at this point. And uh, we've got, this has been one of the most insane weekends of the whole year. I remember I was, I wrote something in on one of my tweets to essentially chalk up the rest of the season, but this weekend you cannot chalk up absolutely anything. And when I went to bed Saturday night, I was just like, the amount of upsets that we got, some big upsets some conferences are doomed to make it to the college football playoff at this point. Hmm. One of them, very obvious. We'll get there at some point, but uh, Dan, if you had to like talk a little bit, like how you're feeling and how you saw, you know, the events that transpired, man, well, what, what would you say is in your mind right now? Like how can you even take that to, you know, it's almost beyond comprehension.
1: Okay. Um. I mean, it's definitely interesting. We're going to have some new blood in the playoffs. Uh looks like we have two mainstays probably eliminated. I, obviously, there are uh, wild scenarios where Clemson or Alabama could back into it, uh, but it's extremely unlikely at this point, and I'm excited to see some new blood. Uh, LSU was so impressive in that win. Uh, I didn't actually watch too much of Notre Dame-Clemson because I was focusing on LSU-Notre uh, Dame, and, I, and then I had Texas-K-State uh, second screen. And then I had world series third screen and I had James Madison, Louisville fourth screen. So some priorities there for me. So Clemson and Notre Dame, I actually didn't get to see too much of that one,
0: but you know, you know we'll, we'll honestly go into a little bit more. It's definitely a one on one of my footnotes, but we got to definitely talk about the most, for me, the most important thing that happened over the weekend. This was LSU upsetting mm-hmm. Alabama. When was the last time that we've seen a two-loss Alabama team in the regular season. And I think going into that Tennessee game for Alabama, there was a part of me that was like, okay, I think Tennessee's going to figure out Alabama because Alabama was not convincing when they barely beat AM at home. I think that's one reason why I went to Tennessee to, to beat Bama. But I did not know it was going to get to this extent. I think ever since LSU lost to Florida State at – Uh, the Superdome to open up the season. I think they've been a bit of an enigma. I think ever since that loss, people have just assumed that this was a rebuilding year for LSU. Mm. Brian Kelly needs the entire season to, to figure out how to play with this LSU team. I remember when Jaden Daniels made the announcement that he was going to LSU and he was leaving Arizona state. He had this, I think he had a bit of a bad rep people like saying like, okay, why is he going to go to LSU? I mean, that was, Obviously, Grant Nussmeyer's jobs. Guess what? Nussmeyer, I mean, I'm wrong, but I believe he just straight up admitted that he retired at the beginning of the season when he found out he wasn't going to be the starter. So, I mean, I kind of want to go a little bit on your thoughts of ah, everything with LSU-Alabama because I think in the first half when LSU was leading, it was like, yeah, they're leading, but we know Bama, we know Saban. They they know how to get halftime adjustments in. Fourth quarter comes in. LSU, LSU still has a lead. Alabama takes back the lead. When Bryce Young throws an insane 41-yard touchdown, when he should have been sacked, should have been a drive should have been dead. He goes back to his Heisman form of last season, connects on that, connects on that pass. LSU comes back, they take the lead again. Alabama comes back, they they kick the game time field goal. They were going to overtime. And LSU, they just they just win it out. Brian Kelly, he has just dropped the biggest nuts in America (laughs) to decide to go for the two-point conversion right after that touchdown. And shout out Mason Taylor, true freshman, yep. true freshman, and you're on one of the biggest stages in America, one of the best atmospheres in the country, and you make that catch against this dynasty twice, two catches. He did because he, he caught, caught the
1: touchdown did. and the uh, and the two-pointer. And that two pointer.
0: Yeah. he a true freshman may have just well may have just well demolished, demoralized, may have just put the crack in the ice for the end of this Alabama dynasty. Am I overreacting here or is this, or, or, or is there some truth to what I'm saying?
1: No, I think, I mean, they certainly could get another title or two in the next three or four years. Uh, there's just going to be that much talent there. Uh, and I think they're probably due from some coordinator changing and uh, Sabin superpower is hiring coordinators. Um, but I, I do think what did Ebb a little bit, and I think you are right on is not necessarily the idea of like the dynasty being over, but uh, they're not inevitable anymore for 15 years in Kochabah. Alabama has been inevitable, and even like you're saying, after the Tennessee Lost, I was like, all right, well, they're gonna go, they're gonna beat Georgia, they'll be in the playoff, they're gonna, you know, whip off all these SEC West wins in a row, but that they're not inevitable anymore, and it's kind of like they're kind of like. Max Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw right now, where we've seen them great for so long. And then they come out in the first, second inning, and they got this great stuff. And you're like, oh, they're cruising eight shutouts today. And then all of a sudden they're getting pulled at, at six in the third innings with two runs. And uh, I don't know, you're I'm not trying to be mean, but you are a Packers fan, so maybe you kind of understand where I'm going here with that analogy today.
0: Man, I literally just got done watching the game like four hours ago, and you've got to dag that heart heart that you gotta dag that into my heart right now, man. Like,
1: I know I don't even really watch NFL that much, but I was seeing a lot of tweets where it's like you we've seen it for so long that you expect it, but maybe it's just not there and there's still going to be a great team for a couple of years. And Rogers is still gonna be a productive quarterback, but maybe it's just not that inevitability that they once were. And I, uh yeah,
0: I was just going to say, I mean, like we're also going to go a little bit more into it because it's what you said even earlier about how like, there's going to be new blood in this playoff. I'm really excited. You know, this is coming out on a Monday. Playoff rankings are coming out on Tuesday I'm really excited to see what these new rankings look like because yeah. look, so we'll talk a little bit more on Tennessee and Georgia, but even though Tennessee lost I and they and they honestly got demoralized by Georgia, I honestly still don't view Tennessee too much differently than what I did maybe like last week or when I wrote down the, the pre article. I still think Tennessee still has a good chance to make the playoff. They could be in a very similar spot to what Alabama was in uh, 2018. I think it was when they uh, – when, when they didn't even make the SEC title game and they still got in the playoff and they still won the whole thing. Uh, maybe not to that quite extent, but Tennessee still is a very good team. I still think they have an outside shot to make the playoff. I think this Michigan-Ohio State, the, I think those are two of the top three teams in the country right now. I put both of them in my top three. Okay. And only one of those teams is going to make it to the Big Ten title game in Indianapolis. And with Tennessee... And Georgia's, Georgia doesn't have another ranked opponent on their schedule for the rest of the year. I, I've got full confidence in them that they're going to finish undefeated. They'll they'll probably beat LSU in the, in the SEC title game unless, listen, we've seen crazy things happen, all right? For all we know, Alabama could still make it to, to the title game in Atlanta, and I will lose my mind if that happens. <laughs> but basically right now, we're just seeing so much freshness. You know, TCU is still rolling. I mean, they looked concerning at first against Tech, but then they absolutely slaughtered the Red Raiders in that fourth quarter. I'm really excited where this is going, but I think but I think the important thing that we're seeing right now is we're seeing this in recruiting. We're seeing this in uh, in the NIL era. Mm-hmm. The, it's always been the likes of your Bama, Clemson, two couple years of LSU uh, for a while. Even Florida State, Oregon. Listen, I'm not counting out Oregon to to miss the playoff because with their one loss being to Georgia, they can still make the Pac-12 title game totally. and still win that game. They still they can still make it. I just think we're seeing slowly but surely you always had your top four or five teams that always made the playoff every year. Like even Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma should have been in that conversation that I just mentioned when I list off those teams, you know, they never won the title, never won a playoff game. They've always been in that race. Look at them now. I mean, they're nowhere near what they used to be. And I'm not blaming this on preventables. It's a culture change, but we're just seeing slowly, we're seeing new gaps being closer and closer and closer between team by team basis. We're seeing talented players, all across the country, not just, you know, mid-tier G uh, Power 5 schools. We're seeing this in G5 schools too. And we've seen a couple G5 upsets over Power 5 teams this year. This is honestly big-picture things that affect teams every year. Now when we look at teams like Alabama right now, this is going to be only the second time that they missed the playoff since, since the playoff era has been a thing. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, am I right on that?
1: I believe I believe this will only be the second if they miss it. Um, yeah, well, because they didn't make it in, in 2019, the the LSU year. But
0: I think, but, so. uh, but I think the main thing with uh, with this LSU Alabama uh, thing, you know, I still don't know how good LSU is going to be with Brian Kelly in the long and That's the number one thing I want to throw out there. It's still too early. It's one year. He's having a great year right now. I mean, and, and and whatever he's done, whatever black magic he's done in the cemeteries in New Orleans. You know what? Keep doing it. All right, he's doing. <laughs> it's working well for you. But right now, I think LSU, they're cracking a code right now that's crucial for the rest of college football to see. And I think Tennessee was the first one to put that key in that lock right now. Okay. And I'm not here to say LSU's finished because, I mean, Alabama's, Alabama's not finished. As, as, as far as Nick Saban's there, he's there. Alabama's never going to be finished. But right now, we're just seeing a parody right now in college football where all the gaps are closing, and we're allowing new teams to show up every single season now. This is honestly – Among the best things to happen, and correct me if I'm wrong. It's 2026 that that we're expanding it to 16 teams in the playoff. Correct? No, they're going to 12, 12, 12. 12, Sorry, my bad. 12. I don't
1: think they've set it on a year yet. I do think that if the playoff ends up being Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio State, Michigan, that there might be some hubbub to get it expanded sooner. So might, might have to sit through that. Uh, mess for a year just in because remember that um that 2011 lsu bama rematch the 21 nothing game where lsu didn't even cross the 50 yard line that kind of bummed everybody out on the bcs and then you know three years later we had a playoff so um maybe you kind of got to eat your vegetables and take the crappy playoff in order to get the expanded one here a little sooner
0: that's so. true, and, and listen, we're not going to have a playoff of two teams from two conferences. That's not going to happen. You know, I, I would love to see the reaction. I'm not training. writing it out,
1: man. You I know, don't want it. But if Georgia wins out and Tennessee wins out, if Ohio state and Michigan both win out and the eventual PAC 12 winner loses another one first and TCU loses another one, uh, I'd, ra- I mean, I'd probably rather have that than like, clemson backdooring into it or I, I don't know i i don't put it past them it's not what i want uh and it wouldn't be the best playoff. but i wouldn't i wouldn't put it past the committee if that's how it unfolded i'd like to see mm. the pac 12 not cannibalize itself for once because if oregon or usc or maybe ucla i'm not sure how they love their strength of record but if one of those two wins out i think they they make it so
0: I think Oregon's going to make it. I just feel like there's going to be a sense of the committee, even if you, UCLA was to win. I just feel like committee would not allow UCLA to happen to go in. <laughs> uh, this is no disrespect to our Bruin number one fan, Liam Blutman, <laughs> but I just do not think, I think that you got to have a certain reputation in college football to, to make the playoff. And honestly, that sounds kind of sick to say, but I think it's sounds true. I think, I mean, think about TCU. the The first year that the college football playoff was thing, TCU was undefeated. No, they only had one loss, and that loss was early in the season. It was a three point loss to Baylor, and they were eleven to one. They they went undefeated the rest of the way. And the week before the playoff, the final playoff ring was was unveiled. They were the number two team in the country, and they did not even make the playoff that year. Yeah, and I think there was a small stigma saying that, like, if t- if you play any other big name school in that conversation, like if you had an Alabama Clemson in the exact same scenario, they probably get in and a TCU brand does not. Granted, what some of those other conferences had that the big 12 didn't have back then was the big 12 didn't have a conference title at that time, which I think at that point was crucial for them to have. Mm. Now let's go into a little bit. We did talk a little on, on Bama LSU. Let, let's go into a little bit about this Tennessee, Georgia, game a little bit you know it's okay. it, you know i i think we're going well sec bias but what can we say i mean the big the we had two top 10 sec matchups and yeah. this georgia tennessee i i had i am so ashamed i am the first to admit i may have sorry i just got a soccer notification but um i th- i think a bit too much than what i could chew with this tennessee offense and what i mean by that is I said that they had the potential to score 41 points against Georgia mm-hmm. because I had this lingering thought in my mind of Georgia struggled against Kent State. They struggled in that third quarter really badly against Florida. They struggled against Mizzou. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to throw your Tigers on under the bus here. No, that's fine. But uh, but I you know, there were a couple of really big key games for Georgia this season where I'm just like, how many times has we seen Tennessee actually struggle against teams this year? And and you really never saw it that much, but Georgia, as soon as that kickoff started into halftime, Tennessee had no chance. I don't know what happened with Tennessee's offense. I don't know. I'll say, I I feel like the pocket collapsed for Hendon Hooker way too fast. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, I mean, he's, he's been one of the most spectacular wide receivers in the country. He was, Cedric Tillman of last year, Cedric Tillman never looked comfortable out there for that Tennessee offense. Everything that was spectacular about this Tennessee offense just shut down on its own. It it got exposed. I mean, I don't know if it was the fact that you had to argue that you had a top three defense in the country going up against them and that's what they needed on their home turf. But this Tennessee offense was just non-existent. I don't, I couldn't like this was not the same offense that I was watching against Kentucky last week. This was not the same offense that Hendon Hooker was throwing for almost 400 yards on against Alabama and Neyland stadium. There was just Jalen Hyde. He he had five touchdown catches in that one game alone against Alabama. He has 13 touchdowns on on the season in like nine games. Right. Where's this 10, like, where did this Tennessee offense even go? So they're going
1: to be fine. And what, what I think, I don't, I'm not an X's in those guys. I'm not, you know, scheme Twitter and all that, but I, I, so I don't want to get too far out over my ski my skis here, but uh, the Tennessee offense, uh, the Baylor offense, you know, Heupel's, uh era at UCF and at Missouri, he was uh, our offensive coordinator for two years. So I, I saw this, you know, week in and week out for two years. If a team has more talented, as talented or more talented uh, defensive backs that can match up on the wide receivers one-on-one, they can pretty much shut it down if they're physical enough And, you know, the scheme's got to be correct too. You can't, you know, try to zone it up. You got to man it up one-on-one and create uh, at least equal numbers in the box um, because it's basically just a triple option offense. If you have plus one in the box, you run it right up the middle and get take three yards uh, or a hooker, you know, outside scramble. If you have, uh, you know, numbers on the, you find the one-on-one and you hit the deep choice to, you know, Hyatt or Tillman or, you know, Emmanuel Hall back in Missouri. And, uh, Georgia has the athletic corners and physical corners to knock these guys off their routes to make them and just shut them down one-on-one, which probably no other defense in the country uh, has that in the tool chest uh, in addition to having a front six, front seven that can whip uh, Tennessee up front. And they were able to do both, and that's not going to change. Like That defense is going to do that again if they have to meet again you know, in the national championship. And we would see this with Missouri. They'd put up, you know, 50. Uh, we hung, I think, 66 with, I'm thinking it was 66 on Tennessee, you know, in one of their down periods there near the end of the Butch Jones era, because that that offense is just a trump card. And it just, if you have better talent than the defense, you're going to hang 60. You're not going to get exposed to an upset. And if a team like LSU or Alabama, you know, went up against both of those teams during the hypo years. It's just, it just shut down. You just, you're not, you're barely going to even get first downs. It's going to look like what it looked like yesterday. So with the kind of recruits you can get at Tennessee, that's going to happen far less often. And Bama didn't even have it. So there's really one program in the country. That's going to be a, that, that, uh, you know, that kind of, I don't even want to, that stop sign. Like, no, this just isn't working today. But unfortunately that one team right now is in their division.
0: So. Listen, this is still not a bad thing for Tennessee. Like they still got an awesome yeah. shot to make the playoff. I mean, I think Tennessee's gonna be just fine. If anything, I think they're gonna they're probably gonna correct me from what is what are the two bowls that are gonna be the playoff uh, semifinals this year? I, I keep forgetting. I
1: don't
0: know. Okay, well, I think it's the I think I'll I'll, I'll do a quick. So I'm gonna do a quick little. Uh, in, in terms of uh election uh day, I'm gonna do a little what you would call a. um, the word called when you're doing a monologue to to congress i forgot what 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 that's called i mean political twitter please help me out here but uh i i if you know i'm just going to go off with the assumption that the the sugar bowl is not one of the playoff semifinals i'm going to look like a complete idiot if it is but if it's not they're they're going to make the sugar bowl it's the premier bowl for sec it's what the rose bowl is for the big ten and and Mm -hmm. the pac-12 and whichever defense goes up against Tennessee, I'm going to absolutely pray for that defense still. I mean, I still yeah. – do. I, I don't view Tennessee – I don't view Tennessee any differently, truthfully, because if you had asked me, like, yeah. who was the better team between Georgia and Tennessee anyways, I would have said Georgia. At the end of the day, it's still still a one game. Georgia got annihilated against Alabama in the SEC title game, and Georgia comes back. I mean, if, that, if those two teams play each other at Neyland or if they play a neutral venue, we're, we're probably looking at a completely different situation here. But – I think Tennessee's still fantastic. They still got a great receiving core. They, Hendon Hooker, it kills me because going in, you know, we'll have a conversation on this later. But going into that game against Georgia, Hendon Hooker was my pick for Heisman. Okay, shut up, ESPN. Um, (laughs) Hendon Hooker was my pick for Heisman just because I think he. I think Tennessee before that Georgia game had five wins against top twenty-five teams. Georgia only had one. I don't know how many Ohio State's had, but. Honestly, with the state of the Big Ten, I don't really think it's more than two. I know they got that big win against Notre Dame opening Notre Dame. opening of the year, but Penn State. It's true. Uh, they don't play Michigan yet. Uh, they don't play Illinois. Illinois, uh, Wisconsin was not ranked when they played. I mean, I, you know we'll go into highs and discussion a bit, but I thought Hendon Hooker, he he had the highest QBR in, in college football or top three it was and. I know, he, I know he was tied with C.J. Stroud for most uh, passing yards per attempt. He had the stats. He has the film. He has the record. He has the story. You know, the, you know this guy was essentially a nobody at Virginia Tech. He comes to Tennessee, changes right. the landscape of, of the SEC to an extent. Mm-hmm. And I just think he has one of the best stories in college football. I mean, I don't think he gets talked about high enough in terms of NFL draft boards. I'm not an NFL draft guy. But I will draft that guy over Will Levis ten times out of okay. ten times, and I don't care if and Hooker is twenty-five. This dude's literally only four years. I'm sorry, he's only four months younger than I am. Okay, and I've officially lost in life. All right, I've I've reached my peak. I'm kidding. Okay, not that <laughs> negative. But 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 like. Like I don't think this dude should be shut down because he's going to be 25 uh, when when draft time comes around. I think he's still a fantastic quarterback. I think he's an NFL ready quarterback. He's an explosive quarterback. He makes throws that just makes your jaw drop. He he, he raises in the clutch. Yeah, I love I love this. I love Henan so much. Like
1: he's a he's great probably, decision maker. He's throwing like he's been a starter now for about one 20 games and he has game one on pick Georgia. Georgia. Yeah.
0: Like he only had one pick before before Georgia. Like, he had only three
1: last year. Uh, he's a re- he's really good with the ball. Um, I don't know if the scouts love his arm talent like that, and they're gonna ding him for the offense. They're gonna ding him for you know the the Mickey Mouse Mickey Mouse offense. But um, no, he's a he's he's a lot of fun to
0: watch in college. But uh, Packers turn off as offense, are watching this, uh, make him among your first <laughs> on your draft board, please do. So let's go. So let's go a little bit into our little Heisman dis- uh, Heisman okay. discussion. I mean. Listen, did Hendon take a dink? Yeah, nobody ever wants to, you know, nobody wants a Heisman winner where, where you bring up, you know, a big loss to a division rival right. on the road. That that killed him. That would have knocked you out. Okay, fine. Hendon Hooker's not there. Bryce Young, he's not even going to get an invite to New York anymore. You know, Will Anderson, they they schemed up on Will very well this year. Uh, he's still dominant. I mean, he's still worthy of a top two pick in, in, in this. Oh, episode. yeah. He's fantastic. I mean, the thing about Jadavion Clowney and 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 uh, Chase Young and uh, even Joey Bosa, like those guys, are now they 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 found their footing in the NFL. Not as much as Jadavion Clowney, but some of those guys were some of the most elite pass rushers in the game. But they had a, such a dominant second of last season, and then their last season, they 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 were schemed against, and they made it. So I'm not try- I'm not dinging on Will Anderson. He's still fantastic. I think he's going to be among the best NFL players in a couple years. But uh, I'm just curious, like if you were to say who's your front runner and maybe some other guys that we should like keep an eye on, who who would you favor right now to win the Heisman?
1: Uh, at this point, uh, I think Hooker probably lost the Heisman uh, yesterday, which stinks, but their offense was just so radically and completely shut down. You know, if he had had a performance similar to like what Bryce Young had in that Alabama, Tennessee game, where it's still a great performance, but a close loss. Maybe he could have stayed in the race. He'll probably still end up in New York, but I honestly just don't. I think, um, you know, when you come out of nowhere like that, the voters, you have to win over the voters kind of twice. You got to get in the conversation, and then you got to get enough to win it too. Um, and any any misstep this late in the season for the out-of-nowhere candidate, I think is probably uh, a nail in the coffin. I think at this point it's probably Strouds to lose. He didn't look great uh, yesterday, but, you know, it was uh, – they got the win – he, you know, had a rushing score and he had a went um, a ton of rushing yards. So one of his best games on the ground in his career, I think. As long as they don't lose anywhere along the line, two names that I think are hopping into it are Caleb Williams and Blake Corum. And I don't really love Blake Corum as a Heisman winner. Uh, I think probably
0: is, is fantastic. it's
1: just things. as good. Yeah, it's a great system. Uh, Corum's obviously a very good back, but he is. In terms of, like, star college backs, he's kind of a dime a dozen. Is he any better than Deuce Vaughn or, or Sean Tucker or Chase Brown or Bijan Robinson? Like, no, all, there's, you know, 15 guys across the country that could be doing what Blake Corum is doing. Uh, he just happens to be getting the lion share of those carries. So uh, no knock against him in his town and his work ethic and all that. But um, uh, Caleb Williams, though, is a guy that's a step apart. Uh, watching him is a treat. And I think if they make a run, he could end up there uh, receiving that trophy in New York.
0: So I am 100% on board with C.J. Stroud. I mean, C.J. Stroud was my pick before the season started. I think he was – even though he was uh, second behind Bryce Young in the Heisman uh, last year, C.J. would have won that if it wasn't for that abysmal Ohio State performance against Michigan towards the end of the year last year. And sadly enough, I think C.J. Stroud is in a very uh, similar situation right now as it is. I mean, because he's still very dominant. Listen, he did not look great. He didn't even look – the most fantastic against Penn State last week, either. In fact, only one touchdown the last two games for him. But look, he's still having games of four touchdown passes, six touchdown passes. And I know what I said about the Big Ten not being the strongest, but right now, CJ Stroud is doing everything that he's supposed to do and and more. He's still he's making receivers like he's churning Ohio State into a wide receiver factory. And I know that these wide receiver <laughs> guys, they're still four stars, they're still five stars. Marvin Harrison Jr. Is honestly, looking every bit as good as what his father did when he was with the Colts. I mean, it's getting <laughs> to a point where we can start talking about CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. being the new Peyton Manning of Marvin Harrison. No, okay, let's chill. Okay, <laughs> it's two different games here, but uh CJ Stroud, he's 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 making his receivers better, he makes his team better. Northwestern, even though they only got the one win. This is honestly insane. Northwestern does not have a win in this country this season. It's yeah, insane crazy. to think about But I told you to shut the hell up, man. But, uh, so, I think Cedar Stroud, I think he is the leader. I think Max Duggan, honestly, deserves more I, I think he's been among the best quarter. Like, he's done everything. Everything that I said about Ohio State is what Max Dugan is doing for TCU. If, if we look at the receiving core for TCU, they're still very good. Remember, Quentin Johnson did not have the best start to this season. It felt right. like only within the last four games he's truly bloomed into being He the
1: got He got five- hurt on the, on the first play of the game yesterday. I don't he didn't yeah. uh, even play yesterday.
0: I know, and that's not something yeah. to say but he's still been fantastic in the previous games before. Him. And Max Dugan, he still led that comeback against Tech. I think Dugan still deserves credit. I don't think he's yeah. talked about enough. I think he's worthy of being an All-American team uh, guy. Maybe I don't care if it's second, if it's third, so be it. I think TCU has been on a big run. Some guys in our polls for, for our top 25s, they got TCU in top three only behind Ohio State and – and uh and Georgia, TCU deserves much more credit than what they're getting. And I know that they didn't look the most impressive against West Virginia, but guess what? They stuck it out. Every team this year in this top 25 has had a has had a slow game. I mean, there has not been a team this year that you can always say, like, yeah, this they've looked well this whole year. The only team that you can say that about was probably Tennessee. And guess what? They just had that game yesterday. And here we are talking about, like, listen, this Tennessee offense, as long as they got bigger bodies. Uh, As long as they're a bigger body than the the defenders across from them, they can still outscore anybody they want. Not every team is perfect. And this goes back to what I'm saying about the parity in college football is closing and closing and closing. We're seeing more matchups, more pound-for-pound matchups being so much better this year. And this goes everywhere. And I think Dugan – and the biggest thing about Dugan for me, and you commented on one of my tweets preseason, where there was like a Big 12 writer who said – TCU had a really legit shot to win the big 12 this year. I remember, you know, for your gambling people, he, TCU was a plus 1250 to, to win the big 12 one this season. TCU controlled their own destiny. I don't think there's a team in that conference that I can honestly say is better than them. They've beat Kansas state. They beat Oklahoma state. Uh, They got Texas uh, next week, which college game day being there is honestly somewhat of a disgrace Show the AAC some love, man. I mean, come on. We got to talk about Tulane. But but right now, TCU, they're doing everything that everybody's saying that they could not do. And Dugan, he was seen as a below average quarterback all of last year. Yeah, I remember I, – I, I don't want to compare him to another, you know, historical Heisman figure, but remember Joe Burrow, his second-to-last year at LSU, nobody really thought he was anything special. And here's Max Dugan yeah. now. Last year, he wasn't anything spectacular. Now he's leading one of the best offenses in the country for smart for my money. I think at this point, they deserve to be a top 14 come Tuesday. In my honest opinion, I think they have to be top four committee puts them under Alabama. Again, we need to fund a trip to, I think they're, do, I think they're doing the rankings in Atlanta or they're all over the place, but we have to boycott the, the, the selection committee. If they, <laughs> If they play TCU again, TCU, they've been such a good offense this whole year. Yeah. They've, they haven't really made any slip-ups and Dugan needs to be a guy that we really need to take seriously. And uh, we, we also got to talk about uh, Kendra Miller. You know, he's running that ball, like, like a horse. He's looking like 2001 Ladanian Tomlinson out there. <laughs> I mean, he's honestly looking that great. I mean, he's, he's finding spaces in the second, in the, sec- the secondaries. He knows how to get to the next level. It's a power yeah. back. He could catch. He's doing everything. This whole TCU offense is it's clicking right now. It's clicking. I was going to say a word that starts that, that spelled out P-O-R-N, but I'm not going to say that right now, but right now, that's what that's what watching this TCU offense is. It's poetry. That's what it is. That's, that's a nicer. Uh, <laughs> football friendly, poetry. Yes. It's very much football poetry, offensive poetry. Okay. So listen, you, you were on the sun Belts uh, on the Sun Belt preview you know before the season started I covered the AAC pretty heavily okay. the AAC I think uh, if I did my research correctly an AAC team has not made a New year six bowl since the in the playoff era only once and that was Western Michigan in 2016 and okay. the AAC winner has made the playoff I mean has made a new year six every time it's always been somebody like Cincinnati. Houston, uh, Memphis. Uh, I don't think a conference USA team has ever made the has ever made a uh,
1: UCF made
0: it that one yeah, year. Yeah, UCF AAC also. So right now we got Coastal, who is honestly on a roll right now. They are very looking. They look very strong offensively this past weekend against App State. I think Coastal. They've got. I think, uh, Grayson McCallie's. He's finally blooming into that quarterback that we were so familiar with last year. I think he's not doing it on a bigger scale. And the AEC right now is just all sorts of mess right now. Houston was the popular pick to win the AAC. That not, did not happen. Some people thought SMU had, a, had an outside shot. Did not happen. Cincinnati is slipping up a bit. They, they slipped up against UCF. They did win this past weekend against Navy, 20-10. to 10. But this is nowhere near the same Cincinnati team that we saw, you know, in previous years, the last two years, when they played Georgia, when they made the playoff last year. They're not that same team. Tulane is Tulane for real because when I look at Tulane, they're not the best team offensively. They're not the best team defensively. They got a good stable of running backs. But when I look at Tulane, my issue with Tulane is they win with grit. And I saw. And when I went to the Tulane Houston game earlier this year, I think it was like week four or five. It was a uh, and and I was watching Tulane. Did Tulane make better plays? Did could I honestly say that Tulane played better than Houston when I watched them? I don't think so. Did they make smarter decisions? I think that uh, that they were better disciplined. I think that's honestly a key point with two-in. I think they're a better disciplined football team. They don't play flashy. They don't make big plays. They don't have a star quarterback that's probably going to be, you know, our Brendan Award winner this year. Right. But they just win with toughness. They win with grit. They win with disciplined offensive line play. They make the defensive stops when they need to. Tulane is a smart football team. I'm not going to say that they're a great football team, but they're a very smart football team that leads them to win games. Can you honestly look at Coastal and what they've done this year in the Sun Belt, and do you think it's enough to eclipse anything out of the AAC?
1: Uh, I think it should and because of the presence of McCall. And with a player like that and a scheme like that, uh, I think that gives them a shot against – you know, a ton of of teams that are going to be in that slot, you know, obviously not against, you know, a Georgia defense, but um, they'll, they wouldn't be playing Georgia in that game. But I I think there's a lot of potential New Year six teams that Coastal could absolutely pick off with that offense. And uh, I know you don't, you know, reward a team for the because they have the best chance to win, but I think they would, they would make the mess, the most operant, entertaining uh, cotton bowl entrant from the group of five, I have also I'm in the same boat. I watched a couple of Tulane games and I'm just not in love with them. You're right, they're gritty, they play close games. Uh Pratt does just enough to win. And you can't take away they are winning these games. But uh I don't necessarily think they'd be super highly favored against Coastal if the two played on a neutral field. And I think Coastal
0: would be favored to be honest, with you. yeah.
1: Maybe. And I think
0: Coastal, uh, I'd, give, I'd give Coastal maybe like a six and a half point line, to be honest.
1: Okay. Um that is uh, somebody that's watched a lot of coastal football. You're being very generous to their defense because that is not a good unit, but uh, we'll take it. Um, I don't know. I UCF has this tendency to like that Mike Leach team where you just kind of like puke on your shoes three times a year and just lose these completely winnable games. UCF's already done that twice. They should have They're better than ECU. They're better than Louisville. And, you know, um, Cincinnati is not very good this year. They just lost too much talent. They're reloading. Uh, Tulane. I don't want to take anything away from Tulane. They're fun. They're fine. Uh, They're if, Coastal has, if Coastal has one loss, I, I will definitely be stumping for the Chanticleers for that spot.
0: And also can... in
1: kind of a, from a, a um, narrative, from a storytelling standpoint, this is the third year. It's, you know, obviously not the best Coastal team. Last year's team was better with more defensive talent, but uh, like a culmination of this kind of great run that they've had for the last couple of years and reward them. I know I don't know. I, I just, it'd be great to see it all work out. McCall off to the NFL, Chadwell off to a power five job. Uh, and they kind of like, uh, you know, and they wrap it up with, uh, with the new year six. But what a, what a story book ending that would be.
0: It would be. And honestly, I can honestly say right now, one of the worst things that could have happened in the AAC this year was UCF losing at East Carolina. That was among the worst things that could happen mm. this year because it, could have very, it, yeah, and I, it, it killed so much for the AAC this year, because now, Cincinnati, you know, they had to go to UCF, and UCF did beat Cincinnati. I think that was a game that you can also say, like, okay, UCF beat Cincinnati. There are aspects of UCF that you can also say are better than Cincinnati. I think UCF has a more explosive offense than what Cincinnati has right now. And, like I said, Tulane. I don't know what's up with Tulane, to be honest with you. I I got to look at their schedule. But here's the thing. We cannot just chalk out Tulane as saying, like, oh, they're going to go all the way. They still got to go against UCF this weekend. Which, which we already said like hey should have been the college game day spot of the week. They, cool. still have to, they still have to go against SMU and I'm sorry, did we watch SMU this past weekend? <laughs> I mean, I I will never forgive NFL Network for for hosting college football games on there. But you see, but SMU Tanner Mordecai, Jesus Christ, this dude got ten touchdowns on his own. He was our off, he was offensive player for the of the week for us, and he got three hundred seventy nine yards. That SMU offense, I don't know where that SMU offense has been all year. Rasheed Rice has obviously been among the most spectacular receivers in the country this year. But, my God, like, this is what Tulane's got to go up against next week or in two weeks, depending what on you, what your metric is. And then they have to go to Cincinnati to close out the year. Okay. There's just way too much hayes gray area right now in the AAC for me to be like, oh, yeah, this team's still going to win it. Houston had an outside shot to, to, to still make the AAC title game. They decided to be SMU. Never in yeah. my life, never in my life, have I ever seen a team score thirty-five points at halftime, and I felt <laughs> demoralized. Never in my life have I ever watched a team score sixty-three points at the end of the game, and felt like such a bad defeat. Yeah, these these things just should not happen. Shout out SMU, shout out Houston for, for putting up the the basketball score of the highest scoring FBS game in regulation in regulation, in college football history. What a game. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Mizzou? I mean, I, I, I know there were rumors of the Eli Drinkwitz extension, anything that you'd like to, you know, expand on.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we covered your, your team's tough loss, we got to cover mine as well. So uh, sorry about that. You were there.
0: No, I wasn't. I don't, I'm uh, glad okay. I didn't though. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, early in the year, I was really frustrated with Eli Drinkwitz in terms of a small element of the offensive play calling, offensive scheme. I don't know if this side-to-side stuff, this Boise offense, all this eye candy, didn't work at Auburn, and it's not looking that great in year three at Missouri in the SEC. That stuff might work in the Mountain West, but against SEC athletes on defense, it doesn't seem to be working out so hot. So... um. I was frustrated with that, that he's a head coach that you're bringing in for his offense acumen and he's, uh, you know, the play caller and his side of the ball is struggling, but the defensive side of the ball is doing great. Uh, I think Drinkwitz is one of those guys, uh, the Rock M Nation, the Missouri SBN site that I also contribute to they're—they're they're, on their podcast episode, somebody made a great point that Drinkwitz is a really, really good CEO type head coach, you know, big picture stuff, but he thinks He thinks he's an offensive genius type head coach. So he's kind of like uh, Jimbo Fisher, where he's just wrapped up in this scheme and this playbook that's just not there. So I'm fine with the extension. A lot of stuff has been going really well for Missouri. The biggest thing that's not is his playbook. So, you know, maybe there's an offensive coordinator added to the staff next year in two years, but you know recruiting is great. Facilities are great. A lot of hype around the program, Uh, two best, uh, crowds of missouri in the last decade in the last two weeks for vanderbilt and kentucky noon games there's just there's a, a good vibe around the program the teams uh finished strong in the year this is all stuff better for missouri podcast i could go for half an hour about this stuff but overall i'm not that upset with the Drinkwitz extension i am upset with the referees that called one of the more out of the box uh that was not a pun <laughs> one of the more uh inexplicable roughing the punter calls i've ever seen i guess technically by the rule of the law he was inside the tackle box because he was on a hash 40 yards behind the line of scrimmage did you did you see this play did you see this roughing the punter all right well go look it up if you're listening uh i i mean i don't don't know what to say about it drinkwoods probably get fined for what he had to say in the press conference about it and good for him i don't know how if you're the missouri player how you could play that any better but if Missouri had any semblance of an offense, save a top 15, top 20, power five defense, and you're looking at a six and three team instead of a four and five team. So uh, overall, I feel good about the program. Uh, I'm going to think long. I'm going to lose some sleep over these Auburn and Kentucky games and how they ended. <laughs> so that's all I'll say about that.
0: All right, let's go into our most surprising thing from the weekend. I'll, I'll start off with this one. And I saw a little bit of this on, you know, our, our top 25 is out now. Our change of four top 25 is out now. And uh, I, I calculate the rankings. I'll calculate the point systems. And I am never more disappointed in our group as a whole. I'm calling out the entire transfer portal. Unless you <laughs> rank this one team, unless you rank this one team, you are scot-free. If you did not rank this team, you are on my hate list. Okay, you ever seen that <laughs> episode of The Office where Ryan Howard's writing down names for people that he's, uh, that he's got hate towards? That's what I got. So I think Notre Dame's back. And I don't know oh. what that means by being back. I don't know what that means being back. But Notre Dame right now, the ironic thing with Notre Dame is right now is I feel like after they lost to Marshall, they just, they just and it's, not, it's, it's not to say that they didn't deserve it. They deserve to be forgotten about. Right now, Notre Dame right now, they're on a bit of a roll here. This is their second straight ranked win. You know, beating Syracuse last week at the Carrier Dome, and now you beat a playoff 100 this week against Clemson. Clemson this year was hapless. Syracuse, at this point, it's just crumbling. They were frauds, I guess, to put it this way. And this is no disrespect to a guy like Sean Tucker. He's a fantastic running back. And uh, Garrett Schrader, he's still a very good quarterback. And they had a strong secondary for most of the season. And then for some reason, Syracuse is crumbling right now. But right now, Notre Dame. Injuries. Defensive injuries. It's true. Yeah. Right now, they only lost one game inexplicably to Stanford since they lost to Marshall. But they've still been the likes of North Carolina. You still beat BYU in Vegas. Mormons versus Catholics in Vegas. How about that? You beat Syracuse at the Carrier Dome and you beat Clemson. Drew Pine, I think, has gotten slandered too much this year. He's made good plays for the Irish offense. This has still been a stout Notre Dame defense it has been playing really well. Actually, ever you know they haven't allowed over thirty points since that win against North Carolina at, at, at Chapel Hill. Notre Dame's, Notre Dame's on a roll right now. I don't think they're getting talked about. They are not ranked in our top twenty-five, and it's inexplicable. It really is inexplicable. They, they were twenty-six. They they would have been our number one team in terms of receiving votes. Hmm. You know, and luckily they're 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 back in the AP poll this week. AP poll doesn't mean anything, but like they're number twenty right now in the AP poll. I'm excited to see where the committee is going to put them on Tuesday. Playoff will put them at six. <laughs> I was waiting for I'm waiting for the team part at the end, but no, we're not going there. But... <laughs> I I think Notre Dame. I think that I think Marcus Freeman. He got too much hate at the beginning. Yeah. Players still love the guy. Change does not happen in the span of two to three games. I get it. He lost his first three games. One of those games was a New Year's Six bowl. Then he had to play against one of the best teams in the country at, at Ohio State. And listen, Marshall was inexcusable. All right, fine. Marshall's a good team. Guess what? Yeah. I mean, they, I mean Rashid Ali is a fantastic running back. These things happen. Uh Caitlin
1: LeBorn. LeBorn
0: you're thinking of. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. But uh my bad. But no, but he's He's like
1: LeBorn is like top four, top five in FBS in rushing. He's been a beast.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. It was LeBorn. So I, I, I do gotta give it to, you know, I, I think Freeman he's done a tremendous job turning around. You know, I think this yeah. is, I think he's now at uh six and one since that since that loss to 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 Marshall. So, huge shout-out to, to Freeman. I think he deserved to be coach of the week, in my honest opinion. He's rallied the troops. That's what my most surprising thing is. I think Notre Dame's got to be one of the best feel-good stories right now in college football.
1: Yeah, that uh, USC game actually has a lot of intrigue now. It uh I, I was kind of writing it off two or three weeks ago, but they, they've definitely been on a heater. So, uh, for me, a uh, big surprising thing is, you know, I, I hinted at this very early in the Alabama talk, but the idea that Alabama – I've officially switched over. Alabama is no longer the inevitable team. Georgia, I think, is that inevitable team. There, as long as Kirby is there, he has built the Death Star two uh, in Athens. Alabama is still great, but I no longer am going to give them the benefit of the doubt week in and week out. And uh, Georgia has now earned that from me for the years going forward. And uh, I think Georgia might be kind of like you know the great NBA team that knows they can make the playoffs, you know, and they flip the switch in, in March. And, uh, you know, they don't necessarily need uh, to compile the gaudiest record in the regular season because they're, you know, reigning champs or, uh, but they're going to be there. They know when the real games are going to be played. I think the Georgia that we saw, um, you know, you don't, you don't need to beat Kent state by 70. You need to take care of business. And I think, you know, going forward, they have Mississippi state and Kentucky, uh, of course, Georgia Tech. They will beat them by seventy, uh, and then uh, you know onto the postseason. And I think Georgia, uh, they're inevitable. They Kirby Smart has earned the benefit of the doubt, uh, even if the matchup doesn't look the best, even if they just came off a bad loss. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm uh, moving that that title of inevitability from Alabama to Georgia for the rest of their respective tenures.
0: Alice is very smart. I think Georgia's had the upper hand over Alabama in recruiting in recent years. Yeah. It's, uh, it's 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 Georgia, Kirby. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not trying to diss Saban's hiring in 2007, but uh, where does Kirby Smart being hired by Georgia currently rank as the best hires in college football in terms of the last 10 years right uh, now? Great. Uh, I mean and- – I was going to say, say, like Dabo like it's probably up there, but Dabo isn't exactly loved by anybody. I don't know how anybody can look at Kirby Smart and be like, hey, I don't like this guy. I think he's very respectable. I remember when uh, they were struggling a little bit against Florida last year, there was that halftime speech by Kirby Smart at halftime. And even though there was a lot of NSFW language during that speech, (laughs) anyone that's ever played it down, that type of speech just makes you want to run through a wall. I love Kirby. I, I love what he's done with the Georgia... You know, I feel like when Mark Richt was at Georgia, everyone knew that Georgia was a very good team, and Georgia made BCS bowls. They never made it to the national title game. They were just viewed as a very good football team in terms of you can count on them to make 10-2 every year, but Georgia always wanted more, and I think they got that with Kirby. He's there for a long haul. He's a Georgia guy. He's, yeah. he's, he's He played there. He, he loves that state with all his heart. He loves that university. He is Georgia in a nutshell. And he's made that really – this is the best hire that Georgia's made, could have made, and it's just got, you just got to respect it. It really is, you know, and it's it such a feel-good story at the same time. You know, it's a program that didn't want to just be good. They wanted to be great, and they did more than be great. They, 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 they become a national powerhouse.
1: Yeah, and that, the thing that I think about with Kirby is like, you know, we talk a lot about Brian Kelly, you know, the fit. He doesn't fit at LSU. And things like that, you know, the, the family and the the memes and the dancing and all that. And it's like, what what is fit even like? What what is that? Like, that's a, a lame crutch to fit is winning. If you win, you fit. You know, Nick Saban's a, a you know, blue collar Democrat from uh, West Virginia. How does he fit in in a, you know, an incredibly, you know, red, you know, state? You know, he's out there cutting pro vaccine PSAs, you know, two years ago. He doesn't necessarily fit in Alabama. Uh, Mac Brown was from Appalachia. He doesn't fit in Texas, you know. Uh, Co- Coach K is a Catholic Polish kid from Chicago. He doesn't fit at a waspy school like Duke. But if you win, you fit. Uh-oh, my nation, right here. <laughs> <laughs> if you win, you fit. And uh, but on the other hand, it is kind of cool to have a um, you know an Ed Orgeron at LSU, somebody like that that is that gets it and kirby gets it he bleeds uh georgia he played there and uh, you know joy Maguire in texas you know where it's just this is a, a texas tech it's just a true true uh marriage of of um of i don't even know what the best word is here but uh you know principles and culture and to to be a georgia fan and to see a, a guy like that that you rooted for when he's a player And, uh, you know, giving a program back to national prominence, that's got to feel really cool.
0: So we just told two really good feel-good stories, some of the best surprises. (laughs) Let's go to the absolute polar opposite, the polar vortex, and talk about the most negative thing. I mean, I covered it already. I'm not going to dive too much deep into it, but this was just Tennessee's Offense we regarded as one of the best in the country. I thought it was the best in the country. It was fireworks. It's always fun. It was always must watch TV. It didn't matter who the opponent was. It didn't matter if it was Alabama. It didn't matter if it was UT Martin. That was just an offense you always just had to watch on the television every single time. Uh, and Hannah Hooker was just never on tempo. But I think we kind of both covered it pretty well that, like, listen, they just went up against a defense that had better talent. Uh, you know, they did the one, probably the one defense in 132 teams in the FBS had better talent on the defensive side than what Tennessee did on the offense. That's probably all it was. But, uh, you know, I, I still got faith in Tennessee. The, the offense was still very lackluster. The the fact that they just never even got the, the foot on the gas at any point in the beginning of the game was already enough. It was all she wrote by the end of that first quarter. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. once, you know, we, you know, the only way that Tennessee was going to win that game is if they outscored Georgia, Georgia, ironically enough, was second in the SEC in total offense per game and yeah. number one defense. I think in the SEC right now, Truthfully, right now, I mean the, the the biggest shock I found was that I don't even think uh, Alabama is a top two SEC defense right now. And that's shocking. That's almost an unheard of statistic. But Tennessee's defense, when I wrote uh the, the game of the week article last week, the issue with Tennessee was that their pass defense, it was, I think it was something along the lines of like 120th in or 110th in the country. Yeah, and good. and the second that they get outscored. They're playing from behind. And sure, it's probably the best offense to have when you're playing from behind. But right now, with the way that Tennessee was playing defense, you know, swarming against that Tennessee offensive line, didn't give them a chance. And by the time that you punt the ball back, guess what? Georgia's just gonna keep on passing it on that on that 110th ranked pass defense in the country. It's the third worst defense in the SEC. And it, it, it honestly just proved it, and that's all it was. Tennessee, they just cannot go up against another powerful defense like that and expect to just play. You know, I expect that this will be a game that they'll probably use a lot of film in once they go into the postseason. You know, they're not going to go to the SS title game. They're still going to go to New York yeah. Six Bowl. Right. But depending on who that opponent is, they're going to really want to know, like, how can they shift that offensive line and fix the fix the trenches? Yeah. Um.
1: For me, my most disappointing thing was uh, Miami uh, getting blown out by Florida State at home. And this season has just been a, a disaster. I, You know, and you hate to, you know, sit here and accuse college players and use a word like quit, but kind of looks like quitting, doesn't it? Um, and uh, considering all the rhetoric around, you know, from Cristobal and from the staff about, uh, you know, we're getting rid of the turnover chain and we're going to, um, bring back, you know, restore the culture and all this stuff. Like the it's kind of get rid of the flashiness and just go back to uh being, you know, tough and physical and, and winning and all that. All those good, you know, football guy cliches. It's kind of a joke. And and I, I'm sitting here looking at Crystal Ball, like I, it's uh you know the the Simpsons meme, Principal Skinner, like is it the children who are out of touch or is it me? No, the children are wrong. I definitely said that backwards. Is it? Am I the one out of touch, or is it the children? No, the children are wrong. Kind of getting some vibes from Cristobal. Like, am is are the players out of touch? Uh, no, ball I don't know, man. I don't know. It doesn't seem to be working so hot there in Coral Gables, and um, I don't know. I was kind of I was on board. I thought it was a good hire, but maybe it's not the um the best direction, and and maybe the the. The Gattis and, and Kevin Steele coordinator hires weren't as good as we thought. Uh, we'll see. I
0: don't know. The thing with uh, with Cristobal and I'm pretty sure Miami. You know he. You know it's it's not as, as much of a feel good story, but as Kirby Smart was. But still a Miami guy. Still played at Miami. Right. But unfortunately, right now the Miami that he was a part of during his playing days, 25 years ago, or however long it was, nowhere near the same. You know. A locker room. It's it's not the same program, not the same stadium. This is, you know, I was reading an article or not an article. I was watching. A t- I was reading a tweet from a, from a reporter who was at the game. Okay, and he said that there was literally Florida State war chants happening towards the end of the stadium. Mm. That is, you literally can never let that happen under any circumstances. Like that is a war chant that just that that follows the Florida Florida State crowd wherever they go. But for it to happen in your own rivals, in your own state, like your rivals chance to happen in your own stadium, that's a horrible look. Like, it's a, it's, like, that's not even just a saying it's a bad look is an understatement. It's an embarrassment. It's, it, 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 I'm not going to say it, it puts you in a spot to where you deserve to be fired, but it just doesn't, you know, you're letting your rival take over your own territory. You know, you know anyone that's a college football fan knows that this is about territory. Right. And you're and you're letting your own rival take over your own stadium, your own stands, their chant going over your fans. I mean, nobody really thought Florida State was so hot. And I feel like a lot everybody had Miami ranked top 20 going to the season. Preseason rankings are worthless. They really are worthless. Yeah. And I feel like when Texas and them Miami played at like Kyle Field earlier this year, people thought, like, you know what? Maybe it's two teams that are somewhat struggling. But you know what? There's still two of the top twenty-five teams in the country. Those right. guys were just clown midgets fighting each other, man. <laughs> I mean, th- that's what it was. It was it was an ass clown show. That's what that game was. <laughs> and now we're looking at Miami now, and I'm just like, there's absolutely nothing you can look at Miami right now and say, like, hey, that's positive. No, there's nothing you can look at Miami that's positive. The, the, the running game sucks. The offensive line sucks. The offense sucks. The defense sucks. Everything about Miami sucks. The, the, you know, you had it on the outline. The entire ACC sucks right now. When you're in a spot right now where North Carolina, who's got probably a bottom five defense in the country, you know, looking like the best team in your own conference, that's yeah. honestly like saying something. But uh, to go on to the next thing, the player that most stood out to you this past weekend?
1: Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and do two. Uh, quick shout out to LaDamian Webb, uh, former Florida State running back, now at South Alabama, 247 yards, for touchdowns. He carried the South Alabama Jaguars in their big comeback win over Georgia Southern. They fell behind in that one um, and then really had to slow down the pace and get it back to the kind of game they wanted to play. He was incredible over the last two games. uh, Webb has over 400 yards and seven touchdowns in the past two games. So he's putting that team uh, on the back as they try to keep pace with Troy in the Sunbelt West. You know, I got to shout out my Sunbelt. So, Um, and then also I want to LSU for, true freshmen were some of the best players in that game. You had the two uh, tackles on the offensive line, Will Campbell and Emery Jones, uh, two starting true freshman tackles. You have Harold Perkins, who's a star there, uh, Ben Houston, in the
0: Edge. That's Houston high school legend right there, oh, really? man. Yeah, okay. he's proud, you know that? He's, yeah, he's the pride of Cypress, Texas. I think he went to uh, Cy Fair, I think it was.
1: Okay, he is incredible. And then you had the, the true freshman, Mason Taylor, Jason Taylor's son, uh, if you remember him, NFL let Miami Dolphins legend. Uh, he had, uh, you know, those two big catches there. Uh, he he played great too. He, you know, gets a ton of snaps. He's a ton of burn. And you're talking about four freshmen that are, you know, they're, they're kids. They're 18. They were prom five months ago and here they are dominating in the trenches. I mean, so you're dominating. Perkins is dominating. I don't know if the other guys are dominating, but they're holding their own against Alabama, against the SEC. Uh, they're going to be good for a couple of years there. And to be having that kind of impact in the trench in the SEC is amazing.
0: I'll say this, you know, for as good as that AM m uh, recruiting class was this past year, you know, they got one of the best quarterbacks in the country and Connor Wegman. Right. You know, and and he's already played this year and he's looked really good. I mean, he, he threw four touchdown passes in his in his first uh, full game for the Aggies and getting guys like Walter Nolan, who's gonna be a phenomenal all-American level. Defensive lineman. Uh, I think he's going to be a defensive tackle once he fully gets uh, acclimated to Aggie land. But Harold Perkins, he was my favorite recruit that that the Aggies originally had in that recruiting class. And then for him to decommit and go to LSU, that A&M class is obviously still very strong and still very good. And look, look, and I'm sure Jimbo's going to find a way to destroy it eventually. But, <laughs> but. Harold Perkins, I think he was the best player in the Houston area in high school last year. And for him to go across the board to LSU, good on LSU, good on Brian Kelly. I think he's going to be one of the most dominant edge rushers before we even know it. He is also yeah, fantastic. Gonna he's he's going to be special. I think, I think in two years' time we're going to be talking Will Anderson, you know, type linebacker. I, I think he's going to be every bit as good as – TJ Watt was his last year at Wisconsin or Jadavion, the Bosa brothers. I think he's going to be in that conversation. I honestly think he's that special of a player. Absolutely. Uh, my player that stood out to me the most is Jane Daniels. I went into it a little bit this year, but uh, earlier. Jane, let's think about what Jane and J.J. Daniels came from when he was at Arizona State. This was an Arizona State team program over the last couple of years that was. Lifeless, death, still lowly death. I mean, the only thing that it was known for was that Herm Edwards was there and he was not bringing that team to light when uh when Wisconsin was getting ready to play Arizona State in that holiday bowl. Sorry, Las Vegas bowl. Uh there were people in Arizona State who were claiming that the players don't want to be there. Players were sitting out, they didn't even want to be there, the, the the fans didn't care about it, students didn't care about it. And then he essentially announces he's going to transfer and there's video circulating on Twitter about, you know, while he's cleaning out his Arizona Arizona state locker players are cursing him out while he's cleaning out the locker, calling him a quitter. But then he comes to LSU. And like I said, when he came to LSU, when he went to LSU, nobody really knew why he did this. You know, Grant Nussmeier was expected to be the next quarterback for LSU. Miles Brennan is still there, still a very talented quarterback, a lot of people thought. They thought he was going to be buried on the depth chart. Even Walker Howard, who was the number three quarterback in uh, last year's recruiting, was also there. So why? where is Jaden Daniels going to fit? Jaden Daniels then loses to Florida State, first game. And you know what? Then they come back. They, sl- they start to come back slowly but surely. Sure, they lose to Tennessee at home, but they win the rest of their games. Then we get to this game right here against Alabama. A, a team that has been Nick Saban at Tiger Stadium only once since Saban's been the head coach of Alabama. And Jaden Daniels, the way that he was able to keep composure, not make mistakes, find trust, trust his true freshman uh, tight end, like you said, guy that was literally just at prom earlier this year. <laughs> you know, you know, trusting these these eighteen year old kids that. Are on the biggest stage that they'll ever be in their life probably. And he stick and he gets this win. You know, Mason Taylor, as we already said, you know, gave that two-point conversion at the end to, to seal the to seal the deal, fan storm the crowd. And he is already heralded as an LSU legend for Jaden Daniels. Take cool. so you can compare where Jaden Daniels was a year ago to where he's at now. It's not just about performance, it's about the roller coaster that he went through. He has made one of the best decisions that he ever could to come to LSU to go to LSU and beat Alabama and may as well has very well knocked him out of the playoff race.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Biggest takeaway we spoke about earlier, but I think you have a bit of a love for the playoff this year. He's talking about new blue, talking about new bloods happening.
1: Yeah, you were uh, all over that too early. It's just exciting to see um, that it's not going to be. I mean, Alabama's basically eliminated. Clemson's basically eliminated. I guess there are convoluted scenarios where they could backdoor into it, but that would be a real bummer. Somebody's going to get trucked in a semifinal. I'd so much rather it be uh, somebody that's exciting to be there, some new blood, talk about um, you know, a guy like Sonny Dykes or uh, Dan Lanning You know, taking a team uh, to new heights, kind of like we had last year with uh, Cincinnati uh, and Luke Fickle. I'd so much rather see a new program there. Uh, if somebody's going to lose by 38, I'd rather be somebody interesting and fun. And obviously, Oregon has been there before. Um, but, uh, you know, USC, I mean, Lincoln Riley's been there before. Uh, but still, Caleb Williams in the playoffs would be great. I just I'd much rather that than, you know, Clemson, Alabama. Um, or uh, I, I, Notre Dame's not making it this year, but those, those same cast of characters that always go there and lose in the semifinals, like Oklahoma, too. Uh, love to see some new blood. Uh, sorry that your season is so great and is going to end so painfully on, on New Year's Day to Georgia or Ohio state, but, um, Hey, it's a great memory. Hopefully a lot of fans take that road trip and enjoy it. But, um, yeah, just so much more interesting. I don't know. Clemson kind of stinks. I don't want to see them lose by, by 33. That's no fun.
0: I totally agree with you. Listen, I I still think Ohio state and Georgia are the two best teams in the country, but So, so we're going to see teams like Tennessee, maybe. I mean, like outside shots. Sure,
1: I guess. Ten- uh, absolutely. Tennessee and the players would be great. That would be a lot uh, of fun if they do uh, put them in.
0: And you know what? TCU, look, even if TCU was to lose in that semifinal, guess what? They would still have a Big 12 title, which would be yeah. heralded, you know, to see teams like Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC in a couple of years. And guess what? TCU get that Big 12 win. But this way, we had Bay- uh o- Oklahoma State last year. It was Oklahoma State or was it Baylor? It was Baylor, wasn't it? Baylor beat Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, yeah, that's right. So Baylor beat Oklahoma State last year in in the Big Twelve title game. Neither Oklahoma or Texas made that made that made that Big Twelve title game. This right. year, we're probably not going to see either team make the Big Twelve title game unless Texas decides to quip around a little bit. But I still don't think that would be TCU. No, I don't think even think Texas is going to make it because they're probably going to lose to TCU this weekend at at, uh, at Austin. But uh, I think TCU making, a big, big, making the Big 12 conference game and winning it, it's honestly a memory that I think should be heralded in, in, in TCU folklore. But, uh, there are very few of- teams
1: that can end their season with a loss in their final game and still feel amazing about their season. Uh, most teams, are, they're going to lose a bowl and feel bad about the season. They're going to lose uh, you know, in the playoffs and feel bad, except a surprise playoff team. Cincinnati feels fantastic about how last season went. And uh, even though they ended a, you know with a, a blowout loss at Alabama, so let somebody go lose and at least feel great about it.
0: Now, in terms of what's been the biggest takeaway from me uh, from week uh, from week ten, the Big Ten is needs the Big Ten needs an overall at this point. I could give it. I could give a shout out to Wisconsin and say about how Jim Leonard has officially sealed his contract uh, in terms of being the permanent coach for Wisconsin. I could talk about that. I really could. But I feel more comfortable talking about how Michigan State, who has been among the worst teams in the Big Ten this year. Like, this was a Peach Bowl uh, competitor last year. And they're among the bottom in the Big Ten East. They're on the same level as the likes of Rutgers right now. Maryland right now is better than Michigan State. But Michigan State just went uh, to Illinois, played the Big Ten West leading Illinois fighting on line nine and beat them convincingly. I had faith in Illinois to, 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 no, I'm not going to say one out, but go 10 2, 9 3, still make your trip to Indianapolis for the Big Ten title game again, Massacre by Ohio State. But they, Danny, uh, Tom DeVito, almost a like Danny DeVito. But Tom DeVito <laughs> has been a very talented. He's been very good for Illinois this year. Illinois has, been putting, Illinois has been a top five defense statistically in the conference. Chase Brown, he's been Doak Walker leader for me. You know, while we were talking about some, some of these other running backs, I think Chase Brown totally deserves to be in that conversation. Yeah. But Michigan State just comes in, beats Illinois. Illinois, that's probably still going to make the Big Ten title game. Michigan State, that's probably still not going to be bowl eligible, depending on how the rest of the season goes. And right now, the Big Ten West, it's a mess. For a while, Nebraska looked like they were Guess what? They just lost two in a row. All right, they lost. They lost Illinois last week. They lost again this week. They're not. They're not going to make the Big Ten tile game. Wisconsin, they, they they lost too many games already. If they would have beaten Michigan State, they probably would be in the race. But right now, they're out. As much as Wisconsin's looking good right now, Minnesota, they're looking like the stock market right now. Okay, I just don't know where they're going. Some days they look great. Sometimes they look bad. And I still don't know what identity Minnesota has. Mo Ibrahim is still one of the best uh, running backs in the the country for me. But the Big Ten West is all over the place. It's a mess. And truthfully, I don't even know how it can get cleaned up right now because every Big Ten fan remembers the Leaders and Legends division that lasted for like (laughs) two to three years. That was the worst division lineup I think I've ever seen in my life. But when the Big Ten West and East came out, my instant thought was Wisconsin was going to run away with it every year. Oh, I didn't even talk about Iowa. How about Iowa? They're finally looking somewhat good. Spencer Petras is actually looking decent. Did hell freeze over? (laughs) What the hell happened here, man? Like, I don't know what's going on with the Big Ten West right now, but right now Big Ten needs an overhaul. I don't know how you can let a team like Illinois be the best team in the division. I don't know how you can let Wisconsin, who's been as as bad over the last couple of years, uh, you know, you know, still not even have a sniff at the, at the big 10 title game, uh, Minnesota, even when they're looking good, they're, they're still not going to make the big 10 title game, Illinois, who's now just lost embarrassingly to Michigan state. They're still going to make it UCLA and USC honestly need to get to the big 10 as soon as possible, because this alignment needs to change right now. And even if you put them in the big 10 West, it's not good enough. We're probably going to need the pod system. I used to think the pod system was the dumbest idea to ever come out I actually hope for it at this point because if you put four teams in one pod and four po- uh four total pods you can essentially create your own schedule with all the other ones like you're like you're not strictly stricken down to to only six teams in in your region you can essentially go mm-hmm. across the country you want i think that's the move that the big 10 needs right now Because right now, for for Penn State, who I still think is very talented, I still think they have one of the best rushing attacks in the country. I love the front seven. Uh, I love Washington a lot for Penn State. And also, Ohio State and Michigan, who I already said I think are two of the top three teams in the country. The fact that we're going to see Illinois probably go to the Big Ten title game and probably not even deserve it, and to see a team like Penn State or Michigan not even make the Big Ten title game, it's either get in pods or get rid of the divisions in itself. Even if you have a 16-team conference, do what the Big 12 is doing, honestly, and just scrap the and just scrap divisions because it's honestly just making everything even worse. The only reason why we have divisions is because in 2010, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Wisconsin all went 11 one, and they didn't have a Big Ten conference game yet then. And they couldn't figure out who was going to make the Rose Bowl. Well, they ended up choosing Wisconsin, but guess what? Michigan State, being eleven one, they had to go to the Capital One Bowl. You were eleven one team, and you didn't even go. To the, you didn't even go to a BCS Bowl. You got massacred by Alabama. But so, look, Big Ten needs an overhaul. The, this cannot last any longer. You got you got three teams that are, that deserve top five. That you got three teams that deserve top fifteen spots, and only one of them is going to the Big Ten title. Yep, that makes zero sense to me. Now, to wrap this all up, what is the best and the worst thing that you saw uh, this this past weekend?
1: All right, the worst thing I saw, <clears throat> I, I don't want to go out too much of a limb. I, I'm not, you know, on the ground in, in uh, Harrisonburg, Virginia. So, but uh, for the last two weeks, two weeks ago, James Madison played Marshall. And their star quarterback, Todd Centale, right before the game was announced, he was out. This was a total surprise to everybody, uh, local media, local beat. Nobody knew that he was potentially going to be out. Um, and then they had their bye. They lost to Marshall. Their, their backup, Billy Atkins was, uh, I'm sure he's a nice kid, but he was a very, very poor FBS quarterback on that day. Uh, Marshall has a top 15, top 20 defense. So uh, no, no fault of his own, but he he was, he did not play uh, well on the field. Uh, hope he's a good kid. Hope he uh, has a good rest of his career, but that was a tough Saturday. But um so for two weeks, you know, beat writers just trying to do their job. You know, are they – is how Santeo, How's he going to look? Is he going to play against Louisville? Uh, the biggest non-conference game on James Madison's schedule. Uh, head coach Kurt Zinetti just shuts everything down like it's state secrets, like, like he's guarding the nuclear football. Just uh, nothing. Closes all practices, no availability. Like, connect with your program. Connect with your community. It doesn't hurt – you don't lose a schematic advantage to Louisville if they know – that it's going to be Santeo if they know it's going to be Atkins. You don't. You see this in the NFL. Guys have to, um, you know, you have these mandated injury reports. But this is a scourge in college that these coaches think they're going to gain some sort of schematic advantage by not saying if their injured guy is going to play or not. So the game rolls around, and Santeo is – they start Santeo, and he's clearly limited. He threw. He completed, I think, three passes – he only attempted, they only let him attempt 14. This is a guy that was throwing 30, 35, 40 passes a game up until his injury. If you think he's so limited that he can't throw um, the ball at all in your biggest game of the year, then maybe he shouldn't even be out there. Maybe you shouldn't be risking his health like that. Kurt I do not think acquitted himself well in this scenario. Uh, the You had uh, fans fighting online with beat writers on Twitter about this stuff. You had Signetti sniping at the media and the press. Uh, you have divisions now in the community, in the Harrisonburg, James Madison football community between the, the media and the fans and and the staff. It's just just uh I don't know. If the guy can't play, don't force it, don't close practices. Uh just an ugly situation, not handled very well uh by Signetti. So um the best thing that I saw uh Air Force getting back the uh, Commander in Chief's trophy for the first time since 2016 uh with their win over uh Army and uh, they beat Navy of course 13 to 10 in October and they completed the round robin tournament took it back from from Army with their with their win uh yesterday so uh congrats to the to um uh I just drew a blank on their coach's name Troy Calhoun Troy Calhoun and his flyboys uh getting back the uh the Commander in Chief's trophy so here, tip of the hat
0: So for me is just talking about just how terrible the big 10 is right now. I mean, I will say the worst thing that I saw this past weekend was defense and that was in the SMU Houston game. (laughs) That was just non-existent. I mean, it's like, I already said it, there is absolutely zero reason for a team to score 35 points at the half and still feel like you're out of it. That just does not, (laughs) that should not be possible. It should not be possible. It should not be possible to, to, for a team to be on pace for 112 points at the half. Like, like we were getting ready to see Cumberland versus uh, Georgia Institute of <laughs> t- Technology type, type score lines, but uh, yeah, that was the worst thing. I mean,
1: once uh once SMU got the pick, it was like they broke serve in a ten in a great tennis match. It was like oh to, well, they got a set advantage now.
0: The sad part about that game is I don't even think Clayton two played bad. Like even though he had three picks, I mean, sure. the first pick that he threw was uh, who was the receiver? It was. But Keyshawn Martin, you know, Keyshawn Martin literally had the ball. Like, he literally had the ball right here, and then it went through his hands, and he was like, oh, I just, oh, just dropped it. That's it. No, the SMU that defended those behind him literally got it. And and ran, and and ran all the way down to the 20-yard line. And it was insane because if, the, if that pick doesn't happen, Houston probably still has a shot at the half. And fortunately, that did not happen. I love defense. I don't love seeing quarterbacks getting 10 touchdowns in, in one game that just – that just feels impossible, but the best thing, and this is also, you know, to end this pod on a positive note. Yeah. Because we love positive vibes. This is a positive vibes only podcast, unless Andrew is on this pod. Because <laughs> going to go on a 10-minute tangent about how Colorado is the worst football team in the country, and even though he's right, he would love to toot his own horn, but we're going to go past that. But uh, there is, you know, Wisconsin was favored by five against Maryland this past weekend, and I thought mm-hmm. that was a little... I thought it was a little extravagant because I really like Rakeem Jarrett. I like Talia, but unfortunately, Talia only had like, I don't know he got 15 passes in that game, to be honest. Yeah, he's but, been banged, banged up too. Yeah, he's been really injured. I, you know, his health was in question. But uh, one of my favorite things that I saw was, I saw a video a little bit after the game was over, and I think it was tweeted out by a sideline reporter. And... Coach Jim Leonard is jogging from like the hallway to down to the locker room, and they're in the hallway uh, right before the locker room. And the Wisconsin football team is playing Jimmy Cooks by uh, Drake and Twenty One Savage. Sorry, who who does that song? I'm embarrassed. I'm pretty sure it is Drake. Yeah, uh, Drake and Twenty One Savage. Sorry, I don't don't listen to rap that much, but uh, they're playing Jimmy Cooks. And as he was getting ready to jog into the locker room. He was like, he was like, that's my cue. <laughs> and he goes into the locker room and all the players are just around him. And they're just like drowsing him with water bottles. And, you know, they were like crowding him, celebrating everybody's jumping up and down. And, you know, I think Jim Leonard, I think he's, uh, he's created a new culture at Wisconsin. I think he's made watching Wisconsin. I think he's made it fun again. The players love him. The defense has been so much better since he's, been the full uh, head coach. It feels like he's one that makes that the the, the identity for Wisconsin. And, you know, to, to see a coach be loved by his players the way that he has and for him to turn around a culture, uh, the mood of a fan base, I think that's been the biggest thing. You know, I I, sp- I speak to people in Wisconsin, they're like, there's actually positive vibes in Wisconsin again for the first time in a long time. And I think that's just something that gets really understated when we talk about, you know, coaches being in certain places because if a coach was loved by his fan base, you know, I've seen times when coaches don't win the most, but they're still loved by the fan base yeah. and it's still a positive atmosphere. And the way that he's able to change the minds of so many people in terms of how they view this football program, yeah. makes me so happy. I, I really think he's done a lot of good for this team. He's Wisconsin's favorite son. He's, you know, he's from a town of like only 500 people and you know, for him to, to be back where he belongs, that's a fit. You know, he you know he's got a team surrounding him, he's got a fan base surrounding him. He's you know he he's Wisconsin's own son, and to, to see him be surrounded by so many people that that, that love him, it's just such a beautiful sense to see it. And when we had Colin Wilder on the pod uh, twice, you know, once for a Wisconsin preview and uh, for a player interview last December, mm-hmm. he was talking so highly of Jim Leonard too. And what it's like to play for him as a not just as a coach but as a, as a person you know he's the person that you want to listen to and uh, just hearing you know his words that he says about his former coach Osage's, just it, it almost makes you teary-eyed because it's crazy <laughs> how much one person can make an impact on things that you love yeah. so uh guys uh for those that have made it this far man i know we've we, we, we went a little long but man when it's just two guys having fun man i think there's just no other yeah. way to do it uh thank you guys so much for listening don't forget to like share subscribe comments you know let us know what you want let us know what you think And we'll see you on the next one